Welcome to the Covetris Connected Care Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Knight, and I'm Content Marketing Manager at Covetris. Thank you for joining us. We've seen many changes in veterinary medicine in recent years. How do veterinary practitioners make sense of our world today and tomorrow so that more pets and practices can thrive. Here to help answer those questions is a guest who needs little introduction, Dr. Lori Teller. Dr. Teller is past president of the American Veterinary Medical Association serving from 2022 to 2023. She is clinical professor of telehealth at Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine and is past chair of the Board of Certification for the American Society for Veterinary Journalists. She was a founding board member of the Women's Veterinary Leadership Development Initiative. She serves as a mentor to many veterinary students, recent graduates, and young leaders, helping them navigate the world of veterinary medicine and life beyond the boundaries of work. Dr. Teller, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. We're so happy to have you here. So to start, could you tell listeners about what first sparked your passion for veterinary medicine and ultimately led to your work at the AVMA? I am one of those stereotypical people who wanted to be a veterinarian since I was five years old. That was my dream. And at the time I turned 12, my dad said, do you really know what it means to be a veterinarian? Because it's not playing with puppies and kitties and riding horses all day long. Uh, So I went to our family veterinarian uh, and asked if I could hang out during the summers uh, just to see what it really meant to be a veterinarian. And he said, of course. And so I worked there every summer uh, until I was 16 and could actually work there for pay as an after-school job. And then when I graduated from veterinary school, I returned to that practice And I worked there until five years ago when I joined the faculty at Texas A&M and now teach in primary care and oversee our telehealth program. So it's been amazing. Uh, But I also know that besides just going to work every day, it's really important that veterinarians have a voice in the broader community, broader society. And so I got involved in organized veterinary medicine serving at the local level at Harris County Veterinary Medical Association, then the Texas Veterinary Medical Association, and uh, finally uh, culminating with my presidency at the American Veterinary Medical Association. And it's just been amazing how many people that you get to meet in the veterinary field, people who have an interest in the animals that we take care of, uh, the, the media, the lay public, legislators. It's just what an amazing experience. And I could not have done that without being in this profession and being a part of the AVMA. Agreed. It is a wonderful world full of very passionate people. I love it. So it's fair to say that your considerable experience gives you unique insights on the future of veterinary medicine. Given this, what do you see as the main challenges and what do you see as the areas of opportunity? I think that there is so much promise and opportunity in the veterinary profession. I am still so excited every day that I am a veterinarian and I 
I try to pass that on to my students and, and newer grads. We know the pandemic caused a lot of stress on our profession, on society in general, on pet owners, and everybody on the veterinary team. Uh, certainly, there have been staffing shortages, especially with veterinary technicians and our support staff. But the good news is we're starting to see some normalization. Demand is returning to our pre-COVID levels. Things just across the board are becoming more sustainable and more in line with what we're used to dealing with. But we still we still have these issues to address. So really utilizing our veterinary technicians, our CSRs, our assistants, our kennel folks, all of these people to the maximum of their skill sets. Um, so everybody has a vital role to play and we need to let everybody do that at the top of their game. And working together as a team uh, makes practicing so much more efficient. Bringing a sense of humor to the job um, really makes a difference every day. Um, that's really important to me. And so that makes it fun for me to go to work every day. And then, of course, using some of our newer technology, of course, telemedicine is one of my passions, um, and really focusing on retention and knowing what it takes to, to keep valuable people in practice and working together with us. And so the AVMA is working on that. Um, so many resources we've created on helping to retain and recruit team members, particularly veterinary technicians, big believers in title protection, um, even expanding our veterinary technology programs, better recognition of credentialed technicians and what that means. And of course, across the board, improving pay and benefits for everybody who's part of the veterinary team. And these are things that can have an immediate impact for us. One of our big concerns, so some of the challenges is that there've been, there's been a lot of misinformation about workforce numbers. Some of the estimates on the number of companion animal veterinarians specifically that we'll need really are based on faulty math. And unfortunately, those numbers are being used to justify some really long-term changes to the profession that, in my opinion at least, could really threaten animal health and safety uh, and the underlying stability of the veterinary profession. One of those proposals is... Um, creating a new mid-level position. Uh, so somebody that would operate between the veterinary technician and the veterinarian. Uh, and the other one that seems to be a real threat to is this push to essentially blow open the veterinarian client patient relationship requirements. Um, and there's a lot of talk about how that will expand access to care, but that's really not what we've seen on the human side, um, but we have seen some problems. And so there's some paths that we don't need to, to really go down. We see some great things on the human side of healthcare that, that we really should pay attention to, uh, but unfortunately it seems that we're, we're picking the worst of the worst things to pursue instead. When you talk about some of the information out there that's not totally accurate, are you saying the estimates that are, are suggesting big shortages ahead of, of veterinary doctors and, and that sort of thing? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Um, a lot of those estimates do not take into account the existing schools that are significantly expanding their class sizes 
Then there are also 12 new veterinary schools currently in some stage of development. And, you know, who knows if all 12 of them will, will end up coming to fruition or not. Um, but that's, that's a lot of people. And then we also see an increase in applicants from other countries who are, are applying to work in the United States as well. And so based on the data that we have, there will be a 20% increase in the number of veterinarians by 2030 when we take all of those things into consideration, which will put us at somewhere around 98,000 companion animal veterinarians. And we know that there are true shortages in rural practices, in academia, in some of the specialty areas, in shelter medicine, but those are unique situations that really require very targeted solutions. And just increasing the pool of veterinarians overall is not going to take care of that. There's a reason why people don't necessarily want to go work in rural areas. Actually, it's multifactorial. Um, so just increasing the number of veterinarians is not going to, to make somebody get up and move or have somebody graduate and immediately go into those rural areas. So we need to focus on the targeted solutions for those and not just saying there's this workforce crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the rural human health issue and how these, you know, smaller communities are losing their hospitals, they're losing their OBGYN, you know, and so forth. And that is happening the same way in animal health Staying with something that you said, as someone who works with young veterinary students, what do you see as the key or multiple keys for recruiting more veterinarians into the industry? And then once they're in it, helping them have that good work-life balance. So we definitely need to work on having a diverse profession. The more people we have who better reflect what society overall looks like, then the more veterinarians we will have and the more people we will be able to serve because we will have better cultural competencies and it, it will just make the profession more sustainable overall. One of the ways that we're working on that is with our Journey for Teams program. That is uh, a program that really helps improve the diversity, equity, and inclusion, and just really the understanding and a practice of where everybody on the team is coming from and also where our clients are coming from so we can meet everybody where they are. And so that's been an amazing program. We also know that the number one thing that new graduates want is mentorship. That is the highest thing on their list, even above salary, even above other benefits, is they want mentorship. And that's so, so important. And so recently, the AVMA joined with MentorVet to create MentorVet Connect. I actually just myself finished going through the whole orientation process. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to expand my mentorship abilities by, by being part of that program as well. Uh, and that's really amazing. An experienced veterinarian gets matched with a new grad and is there to help mentor them through whether it's challenging cases, how to navigate um, a difficult client, 
or a um, perhaps a relationship at work that isn't going quite as well as you would like it to, um, and really help be a sounding board and help them find a solution um, to, to help just make life easier. And I think if we can make people more comfortable in their work environment, at least feel comfortable handling some of these more challenging situations, then they're much less likely to, sur- to suffer from burnout. And of course, a more experienced veterinarian can also help with those work-life balance issues. How do you navigate your schedule so that you can take care of your patients but also know that you can make it to your child's little league game or dance recital or whatever it is. And those things, I'm speaking as a mom and a veterinarian, those things are definitely doable. I won't say that they're super easy all of the time, um, but they are definitely things that can be done. And as practice owners and medical directors and other managers learn how to work with their associate veterinarians and their team members, I think everybody can find some balance in what that looks like. Um, And mentorship is definitely one of the biggest things we can do to, to make that happen. And of course, veterinary technicians also, again, are huge. And I'm going to give a big shout out to y'all at Covetris and at PEDAS, because um, you're also providing some scholarships. So there's Mentor Vet Technician, a technician program now, and y'all scholarships will also help new technicians get mentorship from people who have been down that path before them. And so I think that's really exciting to you because it's not just the veterinarians that need mentorship or technicians need it too. Same challenges. And so if we're all more comfortable working together as a team, it makes going to work that much more fun. Oh, 1000%. Couldn't have said it any better. I want to stay on this a little bit, the burnout issue. So one of the thoughts around it is how can we also improve the workflow in a practice's busy day? There are so many tasks that the vet and the technician um, need to do. There's seeing patients, writing prescriptions, running labs. There's scheduling appointments. You know, the front desk is probably following up on appointments, making sure people are going to arrive. What role would you say technology plays in all of this, all of these activities, all this important work around animal health? I think technology is vastly underutilized in our practices, and it really can make such a difference. Record keeping is the bane of my existence. So anytime that we can make our practice management software, um, our PIM system do something for us, the better. And a lot of it is just we need to, to learn to, to better utilize that. But there's so many record keeping templates in there. And of course, the software just keeps getting better and better um, since I started. Uh, but using templates to do that, auto, automating refills is huge so that somebody's not coming back every time a client calls for a refill. Uh, that's a big piece. Inventory management, um, we are not great overall at inventory management. So first of all, a veterinarian should be delegating that to somebody else on the staff. Uh, But then the staff can be using the practice management software to help with that as well. And I think that's a biggie. And then, of course, my passion, telehealth. Love that. And such a great way 
to save time on rechecks. Um, I don't need a, a dog that got spayed two weeks ago to come back in for me to, to spend 30 seconds looking at it. I can do a telemedicine recheck. And there are a lot of other cases where I can do all my follow-ups via telemedicine as well. Um, behavior, amazing to, to use telemedicine for behavior management, chronic disease management. So this is something um, that a, a veterinarian who may live in a more suburban or rural area, if I have a diabetic patient um, or a patient with osteoarthritis, I don't have to have them come in for every single recheck. I can alternate visits using telemedicine for those kinds of things. And then even on the large animal side, um, they are the masters of telemedicine and remotely monitoring the animals under their care. So we could definitely do a better job incorporating that into our practices as well. Uh, we do still really strongly believe in that in-person veterinarian client patient relationship because there's a lot we learn from that first visit with the client and the animal, um, not just the physical exam, though obviously that's key, um, but what people are capable of doing, what is their bond with this animal, so much that you can pick up with the nonverbal pieces, having them in the room or being at their premises, really, really important. Uh, but technology definitely is a place that we can go to to make our lives more efficient and more productive. Speaking of technology, the talk of the day is AI. I, I already feel like I'm an AI overload, but we're going to talk about AI really quickly because I'm curious about where you see AI playing a role today and then as more actual clinically approved applications come on the market in the future. I think AI will be a tremendous part of what we do. Um, we do have to keep in mind that at least from the veterinary standpoint, it's very much in its infancy. So we still know that there's um, a lot of biases that may be built in. The AI, some of these programs just make blatant mistakes. I've seen chat GPT just make up false references. So if I ask for literature on something, it'll just give me a reference that doesn't really exist. Uh, so those kinds of things we need to be cautious of. But we also know that it can be very helpful um, with reading radiologic images or cytologic images. Uh, still need that human touch to go review those things, but can definitely um, help us with that. So you give us ideas that maybe we missed something or hadn't thought about something, uh, but then we can also make sure the information that AI is giving to us is accurate, uh, can do a lot actually with making record keeping more efficient. Uh, you can essentially dictate a medical record and AI can, can make it look all nice and neat and professional. And you just need to, to double check it and make sure it got everything right. Um, so I really think it does have the, the potential to provide better health outcomes for our patients, improve client service, and really just make us more efficient. Uh, but again, there is nothing. The FDA has approved some AI healthcare devices on the human side. There is no regulatory framework in veterinary medicine yet. So it's also buyer beware uh, for us. And so all the ethical considerations we're still grappling with. I have great faith that it will be an integral part of what we do, uh, but we just need to be careful and cautious about how we go with it right now. So it sounds like more to come on, on the AI front. Yes, definitely. 
Well, Dr. Teller, this has been such a fun and fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.